Every magic trick consists of three parts or acts. The first part is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary, a deck of cards, a bird or a man. shows you this object, perhaps he asks you to inspect it, to see that it is indeed real, unordinary, normal. But of course, it probably isn't. What did you think you're going? Oh, the bloody axe, you fool! takes the ordinary something and makes it do something extraordinary. Now, you're looking for the secret, but you won't find it. Because, of course, you're not really looking. You don't really want to know. You want to be fooled. You wouldn't clap yet, because making something disappear isn't enough. You have to bring it back. That's why every magic trick has a third act. The hardest part. The part we call the prestige. God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 216, The Prestige. I would say a, a topic that has the potential to spiral. Maybe. Hopefully not. This is listener request number 13, brought to us courtesy of Luke. That's right. Are we ever going to get back to Zach requests? Yeah, the rest of the year. <laughs> okay. Just filling those in is only ones that I'm picking. All right. <laughs> Enough of this. No, I think this is similar to a lot of the recent listener requests in that it is a movie we would have probably gotten to eventually. Definitely, I'd say. We haven't done a Christopher Nolan movie in a long time, so we're ready to get back at it. I just rewatched Tenet over the weekend. Yeah. 
Still not 100% sure what happened, but I, feel like I do enjoy it. On some episode, I talked about this time period. This time period leading up to The Dark Knight, because this is what he did right before that. It was really a, a Nolan-heavy time period for me. As soon as The Dark Knight trailer came out, <laughs> it was just like... You know, I had seen Memento before, but I don't think until I started going down this Christopher Nolan like path that I really had made the connection that that was the same guy. Yeah, well, I knew from Batman Begins, but I did not see the prestige in the theater for some reason. Nor did I. And when I think back on it, I do think that this era, this came out in like October of 2006. It was probably the time period where I was going to the theater like the least in my post high school life for some reason. Well, the weird thing about it and something that I'll always remember is just that I can't remember the proceeds going out, not knowing who Christopher Nolan was and not having like a ton of interest in it. But just the thing that the illusionist came out like the same year, there was like two movies about magicians. Yeah. We'll get to that in a second. I have that written down the information. Okay. So before we talk about the prestige, a movie about magic, right? Magic tricks. Let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Where there's not a lot of magic happening. No, I haven't even really been tweeting that much, but I'll try. Yeah, that's it, okay. It's supporting the show, uh, so oh, you yeah. should follow. Right. And I would say you're always on it for a good retweet if someone says something nice. Yeah. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Podbean or whatever else. And we would love to see some positive ratings and reviews. Really? On Apple Podcasts, that would really be great. Guys, Zach has really given his life to this thing. <laughs> I've chosen this podcast over everything else in life. That's right. I mean, the, the least you can do <laughs> is go out there and, you know, give us an opinion and hopefully a positive one. Yeah, I think I said it recently that possibly my favorite part of this show and doing this show has been reading the positive reviews on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah. It was a bigger highlight than even having director Eli Roth listen to an episode of our show one time. For sure, because there was a lot of embarrassment around that. <laughs> now, like, oh, if no. his ex-wife or the other star of Knock Knock, Ana de Armas, if either of them listened, now that would probably go ahead of positive reviews. But <laughs> Yeah. What a fantasy. Eli Roth is just like, hey, you guys need to check this podcast out. <laughs> you guys, because they're all hanging out <laughs> yeah, all really. the time. <laughs> If you want a sticker, a free sticker promoting our show, pretty cool looking. You can request those via Twitter, at GreatestPod. Let us know. We'll send that sticker out right away. Yeah, I think they're pretty slick. And follow each of us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. A lot of fun on there, seeing Some what people fun. are watching. Some fun to be had. Little drips and drabs of fun. Yeah, really? <laughs> Mostly anguish. I wouldn't say consistently fun. <laughs> I don't know what it is about having an app, but it definitely makes you want to watch more movies. Yeah. It's fun having a record of what you're watching and what you think of them. Every time I have something up at like a movie checked in, I'm just like, I need to watch something else to get something. I I need to get that off of. It's like when we have a one star review and we (laughs) are trying to find somebody to write something positive. That's how I feel about having just movies checked in on Letterboxd. I'm like, I cannot have joyride be the most recent movie i checked in <laughs> finally we're gonna be opening up an only fans and a cameo account <laughs> so look for those yeah only, we're gonna put up videos of us baking cookies 
nude. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> That's the only Nothing thing. but an apron. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the prestige. This might be a long one. We'll try to move through it quickly. Not in any sort of disrespect to Luke or any fans of the prestige. It's just we were supposed to start recording three hours ago. Yeah, sometimes the day gets away <laughs> yeah. when you start going down a path. <laughs> we are having a lot of fun pre recording so yeah. now we got to get down to business that's right <laughs> the prestige came out in 2006 it was directed by christopher nolan written by nolan with his brother jonathan based on the 1995 novel of the same name by christopher priest had a budget of 40 million and it made 109.7 million at the box office which is pretty decent yeah the prestige came out in october the illusionist Another movie about magic from a major studio came out in August. I've never seen The Illusionist, so I can't really comment on it. Yeah, I can't remember it. Uh, no, I've definitely never seen it. That had a budget of 16.5 and, and it made 87.8. Edward Norton is the lead in that one, right? Yes. So technically, it didn't make as much at the box office, but its profit was actually higher than The Prestige. You know, this might be somewhat controversial. I'm not really sure, but. Watching this movie, I was thinking to myself, I'm not loving Hugh Jackman as a leading man. I I know he sings and people like that. (laughs) And I mean, listen, there should have been no one else who played Wolverine. I mean, he had that role down, but I I don't know. I I just, I was thinking to myself that I wasn't in love with him as a, as a leading man. Okay. Not a draw for me. Interesting time to bring that up. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just thinking, I I like Edward Norton more. So you're saying Norton in this in the Jackman no part. no but just the idea that those you like don't major think christian students, bale is the lead of this movie yeah that's probably true he, i don't know if he's featured more or not it's hard well, to say I think you it's jump, like a co yeah you jump yeah. around a lot yeah i, I you know I think and jackman I think, was cast because he has like that showman that's true quality. and was he, he in a movie called, called the, the greatest showman, showman. Yeah. yes yeah that's like his whole persona his really shtick. The Prestige stars Bale, Jackman, Michael Caine, Scarlett Johansson, Rebecca Hall, Andy Serkis, David Bowie, and Piper Perabo. That's right. And it got two Oscar nominations, like, one for cinematography for Wally Pfister and art direction for Nathan Crowley and Julie Achapati. <laughs> Achapati. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I wrote that really messy. <laughs> <laughs> the year this came out, at this point, had it already been like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe Piper Parabo is popping up in something. Or was it still like kind of normal? Well, this is pre-Looper. Yeah, I know, but I felt like in Looper it was a, holy shit, Piper Parabo, where has she been? Yeah, but this was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> was she ever that big of a deal? I mean, she had her biggest Coyote movie is Ugly. probably Coyote Ugly. That was like yeah. her breakout, though. Right, right. She got a Golden Globe nomination for that USA Network show she was on. Oh, okay. Covert yeah. Affairs or something. All right. She's always had sort of a she, yeah. a mid-level career. I'm surprised we didn't see her on Cameo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who doesn't like Piper Parabo? Just a, a beauty. Always nice when she shows up, yeah. She seems to have a fun personality. I have to imagine this was the first thing I saw Rebecca Hall in, but I don't really remember it even Oh uh, uh, Yeah, it made no impact because yeah, when I saw The Town, I, I was just like, I've never seen yeah, this person I was before. like, it might as well say, in introducing Rebecca Hall in The Town. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Sam Mendes wanted to do this movie as his follow-up to American Beauty, which had just been nominated for seven Academy Awards. However, just as author Christopher Priest was set to close the deal, a VHS copy of Nolan's first film, Following, 
arrived to his house, and he liked what he saw, and he chose Nolan instead. Oh. He also wanted to support a new filmmaker over an established one, because at the point where he sold the rights to the package that was going to have Nolan as the director, Memento hadn't even come out Oh, shit, That's how long it took for this movie to happen. Wow. He ended up doing Insomnia and Batman Begins. Right, which I'm sure helped get the budget up. Yeah. So The Prestige is about a lot of things. For me, the magic is just sort of the set dressing to a film about a rivalry fueled by obsession, secrecy, and sacrifice that ultimately costs both men at the center everything that they have. Yeah, it's almost like how an obsession is an addiction and it's just going to keep building. They just keep having to up the ante. Yeah, because there's so many moments throughout the film where either of them could just sort of stop. Yeah. And say enough, and it would sort of die down, but they can't just let it go. Because several points, each of them, quote-unquote, wins at some aspect of it, whether it's success or whether it's at having the better trick or whatever, but that's not really enough, and they have to just spoil it for the other person and then try to steal what they have. Yeah. Christian Bale is Alfred the Professor Borden, and Hugh Jackman is Robert the Great Danton Angier, and the personal battle between the two magicians also takes on the vibe of class warfare as well, with Borden as a working class guy, and Angier, sounding almost American, is an elitist showman. And their fictional clash in the movie mirrors the very real competition between Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison, two inventors of the time. Oh, uh, yeah, which well, sort of that's woven into it. Becomes part of the story as well. Yeah, now I, of course, always love seeing David Bowie pop up. I did feel like there might be a little too much Tesla material in the final runtime for this. I, I feel like this movie could have been an hour and 50 minutes, and it still would have accomplished everything it was trying to. You're saying take 20 minutes out? I think so. Yeah. I do think there's a little bit of fat, although I don't know if I, I'm not a hundred percent sure if I think it's just really the Tesla. No, stuff. I agree that there's others. There's other parts that could have been trimmed. Yeah, but I do think that Bowie got a lot of positive praise, yeah. even from critics that didn't particularly like this movie, because even though I think amongst Nolan fans this has become like the underrated gem, the one that not everyone talked about originally. Now we all have to go back and act like it's really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think that, like, I mean, this had like a 76% on Rotten Tomatoes. This was not like universally loved at the time. Right. And I do think there are some valid criticisms, although I do think it's a great movie. And it's a type of thing that is so rare. Yeah. Theatrically, I could only imagine because I didn't see it, but I feel like it just hooks the audience in. And you need to stick with it for all the twists yeah. and turns that you can sort of forgive some of the Definitely. flaws of the movie, which is not too dissimilar from a lot of other Nolan sure. movies. Sure. Well, I mean, the plot and the puzzle are, are there and compelling the whole time, but I do feel like the coldness and darkness are even more so than some of his other movies. There's really, like, not a lot of warmth here. Yeah. The main character's initials actually spell Abra, Alfred Borden, Robert Angier, as in Abracadabra. So there, so there you, you go. It. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the criticisms kind of jumping on what you were saying about the lack of warmth. I mean, they're just thin characters. Oh, yeah. I think one criticism at the time was if you take away their obsessions with these tricks, you don't really know anything about them. Right. Their personality is sort of non-existent. Or why like or Rebecca Hall or Scarlett Johansson would be interested in either of them. Yeah, I think under a 2021 microscope, the female characters are very 
yeah. non-existent. Yeah. <laughs> They're just sort of props. And of course, and we're going to, for those of you who maybe haven't seen the movie, although I would recommend watching the movie first, this is a movie <laughs> that's basically just one big spoiler, or yeah, actually does, several big spoilers. It, it usually helps. I think it will uh, help in particular for this movie. Yeah, we're going to try not to spoil things up front. We're going to try to like present it as if we're going through the movie for the first time, so we're not going to like jump ahead or anything. But when things are revealed at the end of the film or at various points, I do think it diminishes rewatchability. Now, I think once you learn everything, you're going to want to rewatch it once to see what yeah. you missed along the way. But as far as revisiting it, I hadn't watched this movie for, I want to say, like, probably over a decade. Yeah, well... And once I remembered some of the main things, you see through a lot of stuff a lot faster. And, sure. and it does sort of take away the the intrigue. Of course, I did this as a recommendation because I did watch it not that long ago. But before that, it had been years. Another big criticism at the time was this idea that the introduction of a science fiction element into the story sort of abruptly ruins the movie. And I think that's just a matter of personal taste. I don't know if it necessarily ruins the movie. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to imagine them being able to up it to the next level that it needs to get to without that element. Do you know what I mean? To overcome the Christian Bale secret, you need something. And I don't know that they would have gotten there without yeah, I, I sort of agree with that. I think from the perspective of criticizing it, they feel like it's like a cheat. Okay. Because then you could just do anything. Well, yeah. It takes away like the cleverness of trying to figure out what the secret is. It's just, it's a made up thing. But it never bothered me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I thought the reveal of it is so cool and the way they do it and then the realization of what it actually means to do it. And then you're like, oh, shit. Really? <laughs> Christopher Priest, who wrote the novel... He didn't mind the stuff they changed because there definitely are some major changes. And he said that like he saw the movie three times opening day. And just, oh, like, wow. Loved it. What a day that is. <laughs> well, have you ever heard of Christopher yeah, Priest? I, I don't know if he's like a big author. He That's was like probably eight like hours, this, though. the biggest thing he's ever had yeah. happen. How many other movies has he written that Scarlett Johansson is in? <laughs> <laughs> he cited that as the reason for the three screenings. That'd be my day. reason. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, folks. Am I wrong? (laughs) That'd be what I was saying. (laughs) So this movie is sort of hard for us to do in our usual way. It's wraparound stories within wraparound stories. There's like layers and timelines going on, and it flashes back and forth. I don't think I remembered that, or it did kind of jump out to me on this viewing, as to like how much jumping back and forth you're doing right from the start of the movie. Yeah. I don't think I remembered it playing out that way. And then I'm like, oh... We're seeing the end. We're exploring some of the Tesla stuff already right out of the gate. Yeah, the prestige visually and the way that it's edited and the flashbacks and the cutting together and giving us half of a scene but then not knowing what the other half of the scene is for a while, that sort of style is very reminiscent of what Nolan was doing at this time. There are shots in this movie that feel like they're out of Batman Begins right? or even Inception. I think that style sort of closed with The Dark Knight Rises and everything post that has been sort of a different look. Yeah, a little more linear. Sort of, but just the look of it. Like, yeah, there's oh, yeah, shots yeah. in this. Like, uh, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Something that jumps out to me every time I've watched it. I mean, there's definitely some stuff that seems like it's right out of Batman Begins, but there's that scene towards the end of the film where 
Borden's daughter is just like in a white dress sitting on the grass playing with dolls. It's, that's it's right. almost the very end of the movie. And it the way that it's the camera's even Yeah, that's angled, true. It, it kind of right looks out like, of inception. Oh or yeah, I was thinking the same thing. It almost looks like Wayne Manor is in the background and Well, yeah. <laughs> it's know, like almost Alfred a the butler is yeah, of the little kids from up. Inception yeah. and yeah, Wayne Manor or something. It's certainly reminiscent of a time period for Nolan where he was sort of establishing himself as like this big filmmaker that people were going to care about deeply for the next 20 years or whatever. So let's jump into it. We'll do the best we can. Try to keep this all straight. A long way to go. But yeah, we'll see. Okay. We'll be able to plow through it. All right. I'm optimistic. <laughs> yeah, we're plowing through it, Luke. <laughs> you better be grateful. I spent like 10 hours putting together these notes. <laughs> Just insane. Well, we might as well say before we get into the plot, you probably are noticing this didn't come out Monday night as the usual day. We're this already is... forecasting that while recording. Well, we're recording a couple of days later than we usually do. Mostly my fault, but not my fault in the sense of anything other than I wanted to do a good job. Yeah. I just wasn't going to be ready with the notes by Friday. I, I think no it's way. okay. I've never been married to this. The episode always has to come out on the same day every week yeah we know you mention it all the time <laughs> it doesn't have to but it's just better if it does okay and so yeah sometimes the episodes are going to come out Tuesdays well i'm not taking Wednesdays. the blame for this either i mean it's luke's fault then <laughs> no it's nobody's fault i'm just saying people probably noticed this episode was a little late i think that's on the table okay. from now on yeah that with certain episodes it might be tuesday or wednesday night rather than monday but we'll yeah. see we'll see we'll see how it goes so the opening shot of the film is pretty cool because you're like, all right, well, this movie's about magic. What do you think about when you think about magic? It's like, okay, pull a rabbit out of a hat, top hat. And I just think it's cool to have a couple dozen black top hats just laying out in nature. Oh, yeah, that is a cool unexplained. shot. Unexplained. Right. You're like, what is this? It's like the woods. There's dirt. It's definitely like a striking first image. And it's out of context at this point. You have no idea what's going on. Of course, yeah. And then we sort of jump into the first wraparound story, or part of the story. The film takes place in the late 1800s, early 1900s. They do mention the year a couple times. At one point, it's 1897, then it's 1899. I don't know where it ultimately ends up. Probably like right around 1900 or something. Borden, played by Christian Bale, is on trial for the murder of Angier. We see this flashback sequence where he goes below stage during Angier's act, and we see him watch Angier drown in this massive tank of water. He's locked in it. This is the wraparound portion. We're currently hearing testimony from John Cutter, played by Michael Caine. He plays an engineer or stage engineer who worked with Angier and New Borden. I don't know how I always feel about these starts. When I'm seeing something for the first time, I feel like it can almost take me out of it a little bit. I'm like, oh, okay, they're giving this away right at the beginning. Now, obviously, we have many twists and turns left to go, but it's kind of like a weird thing when you know that this movie is these two pitted against each other, and right away we're like, okay, one of the dudes is dead. Yeah, I think the idea here is to just be very disorienting because you start with those top hats, then all of a sudden you're like in court then you're seeing a flashback of what happened. Right. You're really trying to get your bearings. And this is a hard movie to get your bearings yeah. because there is a lot of jumping around. There's a lot of different timelines at work, and we'll sort of explore and the different ones as we go. I feel like it's kind of the point, but 
isn't it hard to tell like who you're supposed to be rooting for at any given time? And I feel like it kind of changes throughout the movie. Yeah. I think that they're both not great. Yeah, right. <laughs> I agree with that. It just becomes a question of who's worse Yeah, by the end. But I do think that the ending, you're supposed to feel like a little bit of satisfaction. Is the Cutter, is that yeah. Michael Caine's name? I, I, is his character supposed to mark which one you're rooting for because his allegiance kind of changes? Maybe. But that presupposes that you're supposed to root for somebody. Yeah, you might not be. But that makes it a hard sell, too. Well, it's already sold. Okay. It's yeah, out. That's right. <laughs> it <laughs> happened. Damage done. That's why you get 76%. You got to give these people somebody to root for. While in prison during trial, Borden is visited by a man named Owens. He says he is a solicitor representing a man named Lord Caldlow, an amateur magician interested in purchasing Borden's tricks. Right away, I'd be like, that name sounds made up. <laughs> well, it's not, though. I- not to give a spoiler, that's yeah. not made up. <laughs> the real interest, though, is in a trick called the Transported Man. And I wrote this all in capital letters. The Transported Man is basically the MacGuffin. I don't know if that's the right usage. The, okay, yeah. the deus ex machina. Right. The, the thing that makes this all go. This is the obsession. The of real this Transported Man. <laughs> People are obsessed with this Transported Man. And this is like what their whole rivalry will hinge around at a certain point it's not what starts it it's not what ends it well it kind of is but it is the thing that basically fuels it as the the uh great danton says it's the greatest magic trick i've ever seen it is considered safe yeah (laughs) (laughs) how many times do we some of those scenes are really good some of like the in-show performances like the way they're shot is just great it does feel like legitimately you're part of the magic show Borden doesn't want to relinquish the secret to this trick, but Owens reminds him that he should be concerned with his daughter's future and that she could potentially become Lord Caldlow's ward and want for nothing. Yeah, a lot of holes in the uh, adoption process in this time period, I'd say. It was pretty free and loose. (laughs) It seemed like if you were, not to take it to an immediate dark place, but if you were a child molester, I mean, it would... Anything, well, I, anything goes. I mean, at fa- this point, I, I, yeah, it's like Fallon who has this connection just immediately pushed out of the picture, and Lord Caldo's like, "Well, I, I'm going to slide in here." Yeah, Borden's engineer Fallon will not necessarily be permitted to take the daughter, and so I think, yeah, the idea is that Lord Caldo has a lot of money, and the court will decide that she should go with him. That's like life. little orphan Annie and Daddy Warbucks. Owens provides Borden with Angier's diary as a token of good faith, and this sets up what this movie is basically all about, which is a couple of dudes reading each other's diaries. diaries. That's what establishes all these different timelines. Pissing each other off, like throwing the diary down, (laughs) motherfucker. There's trick thievery and secrets. And it all hinges around the transported man and then the mystery of Angier's time spent in Colorado in the United States. We then sort of flash backwards in time and see Angier, played by Jackman, on a train bound for the Rockies. He's in possession of Borden's coded diary, trying to decipher it. We're jumping around in time. We're still not even at the beginning of the story yet. And we certainly don't even know how he's come into possession of Borden's diary at this point that's right and we're not even sure when this is happening because this is sort of like not the beginning of the story and it's definitely not the end of the story we're more like jumping to the middle of the story (laughs) so yes you will find yourself having a hard time finding your bearings 
when he arrives in Colorado Springs, Angier finds that the entire town has electricity, and this is sort of like a teaser for why he's there. He's come to see Tesla, and he's rebuffed at first. I was actually sort of caught off guard in rewatching this, how early this is all happening. I now, agree. granted, we don't see Tesla yet. Right, right. That storyline's already introduced, yeah. Yeah, I was like... W- My memory was that that comes into it in the second half of the movie. Yeah, but they've set that up, and it made me realize that this is, at least in Nolan's perception of this story and what's important, he thinks this is like a major piece of it. Yeah, yeah. He obviously thinks like this mystery about Colorado and what happened there is like a big deal because he's teasing it right now, right at the front of the film. As Angier probes deeper into Borden's diary, Angier comes across the section where they first meet, and we finally go back to 1897 when all of this first started. So finally, probably like 20 minutes into the movie, after all of this buildup and oh, yeah. introduction, we're, we're actually we're on starting like a story the story. Line. Yeah. We're in London, Angier and Borden at the start of their careers working as shills for a somewhat hacky magician played by real-life magician and actor Ricky Jay, yeah, who people might recognize from like Paul Thomas Anderson movies and stuff. Right. I didn't realize he was a real-life magician. Yeah. He plays Milton. He was actually responsible for training Jackman and Vale okay. about different stuff. He doesn't really talk or factor into this at all. It doesn't he's feel like Yeah, it doesn't feel like he's much of a showman. Both Angier and Borden are under the mentorship of Cutter, who's an engineer who designs the stage magic for the magician. Angier's wife, Julia, played by Piper Parabo, is also part of the act. Yeah. Magician assistant always a you know promising career. Yeah, well, I don't know that there's a lot of options role. going on back <laughs> yeah. at that time period for hot chicks. That's true, yeah. <laughs> there wasn't, like, reality shows or anything. Right. They could just be magician assistants. <laughs> so we see them perform the water tank trick here for the first time. They Cutter do... just always ready for it not to work. Well, that's his job. Yeah. He's got to be there. Although, when it doesn't work, he fails. So I know, really. Sort of pointless in the end. Yeah, is that timer off? Do they not know how long she can actually hold her breath? They couldn't break the glass. Yeah. The glass is too thick. All right, well, we're, we're jumping ahead. Because okay, it go goes ahead. fine the first time. Yes, it does. It's fine. Basically, what happens is they have Bale and Jackman, who are obviously plants, in the audience. They come up. They tie the knots. They put her in the tank. She gets out. Makes it seem like the magician did it. Obviously, the magician does nothing because magic isn't real. Oh, shit. Yet. Wow. Unless there's a wizard involved. Yeah. As Tesla's referred to. Harry Potter. Yes. Yeah, so everything's great. Afterwards, Borden is annoyed by Milton's complacency. He's sort of a lazy magician. Cutter warns him about the Langford double knot because Borden is the one tying Julia's wrists together. Those are the important ones, obviously. Yeah, he's a master knot tier. Apparently, which never really factors into anything nope. later. <laughs> so the idea is they're worried about the diff- Okay, there's two different types of knots. There's the one he should be using that she can slip easily, but that one is not as good as holding her when they hoist her up into the air. Right. And so he's tying this Langford double knot, which holds her better, but may be harder to slip out of in the water. Yeah. And it becomes this whole thing. But she has some degree of confidence that she can slip it with ease. Yeah, Julia seems pretty easy going. She's kind of down for the challenge, it seems like. 
She's like, I want it to be more life-threatening. Yeah, these people are insane. Yeah. Who would ever even do this in the first place? (laughs) This is so stupid. Stop going in water. (laughs) In response to Borden's complaints about Milton and knowing that Borden and Angier both want to be magicians on their own, Cutter sends them both to see a guy named Chungling Su. Not actually see him, but see his act. Right. And there's talk of needing to be able to get your hands dirty, which is a recurring yep. thing. And this is where they introduce that whole notion of living the lie or whatever all the time. Total commitment. Yeah. Because the only way that Chung Ling Su can do the specific trick that Cutter wanted them to pay attention to is if he's pretending to be a cripple and he's actually carrying the goldfish bowl between his legs the whole time or whatever. And then when they see him on the street later, he's still pretend- he's still doing the right. act, and that's the whole idea. He's faking this limp at all times. Live the character 24-7. It's a total devotion to the art. It's about self-sacrifice. In real life, Chung Ling Su was a stage character created by William Ellsworth Robinson, a white man who disguised himself as a Chinese man to cash in on audiences' enthusiasm for the exotic. Robinson lived as Chung, never breaking character while in public, he died in March of 1918 when a bullet catch trick went wrong. Oh, boy. Well, that's certainly referenced in this movie as well. Yes. My God, I've been shot were both his last words and the first English he had spoken on stage in 19 years. Oh, wow. So there you go. Chung Ling Su, actually a real stage performer. Okay. And I guess some of the real-life elements around him woven into this story. Yeah, when we get to the end of this and we've revealed everything, we can sort of talk about another revelation of to what was going on with stage shows at this time, which sort of makes what happens in this movie seem not that big of a deal, really. Okay, but we'll right. get there. I look forward to it. Borden meets Sarah, played by Rebecca Hall. Her nephew sees through the bird trick. Yes, yeah, they do. Visibly upset. Yeah, this is sort of a key moment, or a little bit of like a... Is this a foreshadow? Yeah. I- Yeah, we're going to sort of gloss over their courtship. That's one thing we don't really need to waste time on. Okay. We meet Sarah, Rebecca Hall, Borden likes her, they get together. Yep. End of story. (laughs) Back to the present, Cutter shows the judge Angier's machine used in the transported man trick. This wasn't built by a magician, he says. It was built by a wizard. It's not magic. It's real. The judge sort of just doesn't even know how to respond to this. He's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, right. He's like, you realize this is a murder trial, right? Get this nonsense out of here. (laughs) They also look at the water tank in which Angier drowned. There's some more foreshadowing here because Cutter refers to this tank as having an awful significance in the story of Angier and Borden. Yeah. What what their relationship was. It factors into their history and sort of the what kicked off this whole rivalry. During a water tank trick, this is back in the past again, in front of an audience, Julia fails to escape and drowns. So there's a couple of things here. <laughs> First of all, Christopher Nolan movie, Dead Wife, right off you the You know bat. it's going to factor in. But wait, folks, the prestige is a twofer. <laughs> there will be more Dead Wives. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> Two, bummed to lose Piper Parabo this early. Yeah, I know. She was actually kind of popping for me. Always a delight. Yeah. I love seeing her in Looper. Oh, yeah. Well, she looked good in Looper. Yeah, well, there are reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, when I rewatched this scene the second time, 
for this podcast and was like taking notes and stuff, it really dawned on me that the live crowd sort of undersells it a bit. Like Not nobody's the, really reacting that strongly. I think people would be freaking out. I guess it's just because you never you're kind of not really sure what's happening. Like, That's is true. this real? That's true. It's kind of like when we were seeing whatever movie and like the fire alarm started going off. <laughs> you're like, is this part of the show? <laughs> well, I was thinking about Owen Hart. Oh yeah. Wow. Didn't know what was happening. Yeah. yeah. I guess that is true. You're at a magician thing. And all of a sudden, this guy is swinging an axe on stage, trying to break the water tank. Everyone, yeah. You're, well, you're just out. like, are, are we being worked right now? Is this a work? I was also wondering. They use Bale and Jackman as the shills in the audience every night. Right. What if somebody saw the show twice? Wouldn't they recognize them? Yeah, they didn't allow that. <laughs> once after you saw it, <laughs> the once show you were wasn't on the list. that good. Yeah. No one was seeing it <laughs> <Right>. twice. <laughs> told me he went overboard tangled in the sails they pulled him out but it took him five minutes to cough he said it was like going home what do you want Bolton? Sorry for your loss, Angie. Which lot did you tie? I keep asking myself that. And? And, uh... I'm sorry, I... I, I just don't know. You don't know? I'm sorry. You don't know? Angier, obviously devastated at the death of his wife, accuses Borden of using a risky or not, the Langford double, causing Julia's death. And when he confronts Borden, which he happens says, at the funeral. He says he legitimately cannot remember which knot he tied. Yeah, Borden claims not to know for sure. And though difficult for Angier to ever accept this, it will much later, sort of later, later in time, not later in the movie. Because actually, the scene of this happens not that long after. Yeah. But later in time, it will be confirmed in Bourne's diary. I just wasn't sure how you're... it also says he doesn't know. How you're supposed to interpret that, though. He was doing it without thinking, I guess. Okay. The idea. I believe yeah. it, because what is the point of him writing that in his own diary? Although he wrote it in the diary that he knew. Well, yeah, but I think that I do was agree his real diary. And then he just never put the trick in there. And then at the end, he had it. Because yeah, yeah. he's going to sit there and write that coded shit for I months. agree. To get, <laughs> but here's the thing: wouldn't they check her fucking wrists? Her yeah. wrists are still bound whenever she breaks out of that tank. It's a good call out. Really poor crime scene investigating <laughs> by these fucking clowns. <laughs> I mean, I know it was like a pre CSI time yeah. period, but what? checking they... the knot, yeah, it should not be that hard. They they easily could have gotten to the bottom of this in that time period too. It seems like he could have caught a murder charge or something. Yeah, God knows. They just sort of gloss well, over I think it. the first time I saw this, and I didn't really feel this way now, but I, I think I thought to myself after this part that there may have been, had been some prearranged agreement between these two that he was going to do the, the tough or not, but it doesn't really make sense 
for the rest of the movie because then he would know which knot it was. Yeah, plus as traumatic as this is and as like the big kickoff to start the feud, it doesn't really factor in that much. That's true. In fact, at a certain point in the movie, the Hugh Jackman character is clearly it's not about his wife anymore. Yeah. Now, as bitter enemies, Angier and Borden both launch their own magic careers. Angier working with Cutter and Borden working with the mysterious Fallon who rarely speaks and who often makes himself scarce when other people are around. Borden and Sarah are soon expecting their first child together. His happiness, or at least the appearance of it, and his family life will further infuriate Angier later as he discovers these things. Sure. <laughs> so there is a little bit of resentment at Borden just continuing to get to live his life and to follow his dreams, and Angier feels like his life has been shattered. But as you said, I think over time... Yeah. Does he mention that later, by the way? I f- he never stops talking about that. <laughs> this whole thing of like, well, he got the life that he wanted. <laughs> Angier and Borden take turns sabotaging each other, mostly because they both seem especially good at getting on stage at each other's performances as volunteers, Yeah, really. which is the one conceit of this movie that you just yeah, sort of have to buy for it to work. But even though from the very beginning of the movie, they introduced this notion that basically everyone on stage is plants, but then yeah. they want us to believe that these guys are always being randomly selected. Well, even if they are real... For certain tricks. Yeah, yeah. It just seems like the odds of being able to get on stage right, right. over and over so easily. But, okay. Uh, you have to just buy that for this to work. Sure. I do. Fine. There's just no way. First, Angier, as a disguised volunteer, slips a real bullet into Borden's pistol during a bullet catch trick, resulting in Borden losing two of his fingers. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Because Fallon is able to jump in and knock the gun to the side when he tries to murder so Gordon. yeah he's now disfigured which makes it more difficult to do magic tricks certainly but also probably has an impact on your ability to be the front man on the stage no one wants to see this disfigured <laughs> creep all right harsh words yeah <laughs> borden reciprocates by sabotaging angier's disappearing bird act brutally killing the bird on stage in front of the audience and injuring a volunteer that whole contraption well. is insane the thing that cutter builds to do this trick it doesn't really make any sense because it feels like it would make noise yeah how is it not making any noise it feels like it would always kill the bird <laughs> there's just too many moving parts it's during this time period that angier hires a new assistant olivia wenscombe played by scarlett johansson they were like we really gotta spice this show up give the people some reasons to come out this is the part of the movie where it strains all credibility because i would just be like you know what fuck all this magic let's shit. just make like, the show about her yeah <laughs> <laughs> at one point she's destitute she's sleeping in the I don't know, headquarters, I don't know, whatever, their lab where they come up with the tricks. The training ground. Yeah, it's like, you could just be with this woman, apparently. She's just available. What are we doing here? Right. <laughs> and let's say, I mean, I know we're pigs on this show, but sure. God almighty, Scarlett Johansson in this movie. Jesus Christ. It, Scarlett Johansson <laughs> in this time period? Come on. Holy Give me fuck. a break. And she ends up falling in love with Angier pretty quickly and seemingly based on nothing. Even though he's like movie. a complete douche who's like obsessed with his dead wife and this <laughs> rivalry. <laughs> How dare he care about his dead wife? Move on. It's, it's all it's a been ruse. Weeks. Yeah. 
and it's even more infuriating because Angier usually seems little more than indifferent to her. Just never really cares one way or the other. About That's how her. you get them. Uh, have you learned nothing? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. He's slowly giving in to his obsession. It's never about success or fame, which he finds over and over throughout the movie. He doesn't care. He just needs to be better than Borden, who is just naturally better at being a magician, although he can't be a showman. Yeah, like he has a shitty stage presence. And jeer. His, so, I will say, they do a good job of making his shows just seem so trashy. For a while, and then it yeah. seems like he gets better. For sure. Well, once Olivia gets involved. Yeah. You know, she's got that spark. <laughs> yeah, she's got a couple of sparks. Whatever that quality is, you know, she's just got it. <laughs> As mentioned, there are a couple of different timelines. So there's basically three main ones that we really need to worry about. So Three main timelines. There's one... Which is the wraparound with Borden in prison. He's reading Angier's diary after Angier's death. Which brings us to number two. Because the part that Borden is reading about is when Angier is in Colorado in 1899. He's reading Borden's diary at that point. And also, we don't know how he acquired it yet. But that brings us to number three, which is further back in time. And this is what Angier is reading about. Which is all leading to Angier's trip to America. And it's sort of the beginning of their feud. So those are the three. Okay, so a couple things to keep track of. In timeline two, Tesla finally agrees to meet Angier. Tesla is played by none other than David Bowie. So here's a couple of things. First of all, for those of you who don't know, Nikola Tesla was a world-renowned inventor, physicist, and engineer, not just the name of a car. For a while, he conducted electrical experiments at his lab in Colorado Springs, where he was also known for his eccentric behavior. Uh-oh. David Bowie initially declined the role of Tesla when it was offered to him. Christopher Nolan then flew out to him personally to tell him that he was the only person he imagined for the role. You've got to do it. And that his larger-than-life persona would make the idea of Tesla... Building a device like the one that Angier desires seem believable. Bowie, of course, then changed his mind and took the role. Fine. I need something impossible. You're familiar with the phrase, man's reach exceeds his grasp. Is the lie. Man's grasp exceeds his nerve. Society only tolerates one change at a time. First time I tried to change the world, I was hailed as a visionary. Second time, I was asked politely to retire. <laughs> so here I am, enjoying my retirement. Nothing is impossible, Mr. Angier. What you want is simply expensive. If I were to build for you this machine, you would be presenting it merely as illusion? Well, if people actually believe the things I did on stage, they wouldn't clap, they'd scream. I mean, think of sawing a woman in half. Mr. Angier, have you considered the cost of such a machine? Price is not an object. Perhaps not, but have you considered the cost? I'm not sure I follow. Go home. Forget this thing. I can recognize an obsession. No good will come of it. Well, hasn't good come of your obsessions? At first, but I followed them too long. I am their slave, and one day they will choose to destroy me. If you understand an obsession, then you know you won't change my mind. 
So be it. Will you build it? I've already begun to build it, Mr. Angier. I hope you enjoy the mountain air. This will take some time. So Angier wants Tesla to build him some sort of special machine. We don't really know all the details yet. Again, this is sort of a recurring thing with yeah. Nolan movies at this time. You sort of see half of something and then it cuts to something else. I think it's taken me a few viewings to get all of the Tesla stuff and like the whys. Because the reason that the Hugh Jackman character is pursuing this is basically because the Christian Bale character had already gotten something from Tesla, right? No. So wh- why does he it- say you've built something for another man before? Because he thinks that he did. Oh, right, right. It's all misdirection. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it actually works out better for Angier than he could have hoped. Because Absolutely. Because it was all a misdirection. There was never... See, that's the thing you have to remember. I thought the misdirection was just that actually something happens. I thought that the electrical devices that the Christian Bale character was using was really a Tesla device. It just doesn't do anything. No, because we'll get to that later. Okay, okay. There's one thing that Angier should have realized the whole time that he just okay. wasn't remembering, yeah, yeah. which is that Borden didn't have any money. That's right, because <laughs> he was a terrible showman. Well, he was poor. Yeah, Angier is using money from his like his family wealth. That was like sort of the class warfare idea. Is like he always has this fallback yeah, yeah. money, right? And Borden has like always had to struggle. In Timeline 3, Borden has developed a new trick he calls the Transported Man. So we're finally actually going to see what this is all about. The trick. In which he appears to travel instantly between two wardrobes on opposite ends of the stage. So let's try to describe it here. There's two like wooden closets, wooden boxes on the stage. He bounces a ball across the stage and steps into one of the closets and then opens the door on the other side of the stage and catches the ball by the time it gets and it's there. It's super quick. It does look super cool. It looks cool. As Cutter puts it, though, the audience almost doesn't even know what's happening. Right, right. Because it just comes and goes. he's not presenting it well enough. Yes. And it seems like, because his stage show is kind of shitty at that point, that he could just be like running behind the two. Like It's just not presented well enough. Well, and right enough. before he does the trick, I mean, he's always fucking around with these rings. <laughs> His and, rings tricks. Like, what are those? And everyone thinks that they suck. Yeah. People are like audibly like just like booing. groaning and booing. Yeah. And then he's like, okay, so you've seen this one before. But it is like the atmosphere in this place. Just no excitement leading yeah. into this trick. <laughs> this trick will become the key, the center, the escalation to it all. And Jir obsesses over trying to figure out how Borden does it. He's not really concerned with the idea of just stealing it. It's not really weighing on his conscience at all. No, no. Trick thievery seemed pretty common in these days, though. That doesn't necessarily seem like unique to this particular imaginary rivalry. Well, yeah, and I mean, you just think about showbiz in general. I'm sure, like, comedians, I mean, how many of them were doing, like, the same acts? Yeah. Unable to discern Borden's method, Angier finds and hires a double named Gerald Root to perform his own version of the trick, which he will then call the new transported man. So let's very quickly talk about this. This is sort of a weird segment of this movie that strains all credibility, and it feels very Shakespearean, where you just sort of have to accept that somebody looks like somebody else, even though how this would ever happen, I'm not really sure. 
there weren't that many people in the world. <laughs> like, I don't know how you find this person it, and then you yes. just make them look like the same. I agree. You it just, is does seem insane. You just kind of have to accept it. Because Hugh Jackman is playing both characters. I think there's something going on with the teeth or maybe it's just something that he's doing something with his mouth yeah you can tell the difference between them i know but you are just like this is the same guy yeah and it just the chances of finding this perfect double back then i think people did use doubles because not everyone had glasses and the stage was farther away sure and that you could come up with ways that you could just sort of trick people into believing stuff back then right but to find a double that's an exact match people weren't able to like zoom in on their iPhones <laughs> i know it almost seems like we would have bought it if it was a guy that looked less like him you know yeah. I, I don't know that it needed to be jackman playing both roles but well that yeah that was clearly a choice by nolan i don't know i, yeah. I think if, in terms of it being a movie i think it's just better I think it keeps it simpler. Okay. Because well, the same but it, but thing it, but would it, apply. Right. How would they find somebody? But it is going to sure. But it, I mean, I feel like it makes everyone in the audience be like, "Really, they found this guy that looks exactly like him." <laughs> the imitation is a greater success, but Angier is dissatisfied as he ends the trick hidden under the stage. Well, Root. Yeah, he needs that love. Applause. His trick is a little different because. He has a better stage presence, and he understands because, okay, the thing I was thinking about when we were talking about Borden's trick is his doors on his closet right. are basically facing the audience, and so they see, like, just a wooden closet. Oh, yeah. And so, obviously, knowing anything about magic, there could be, like, a, a trick Something door. in the back. Yeah. So, th- somehow, they think he might be getting between the two fast like enough. Like, lightning quick. Or whatever. And it just, it's bad presentation. Because the way that Angier sets it up is the doors are not are facing the sides of the stage. And he basically just opens one door, falls through the stage, while at the same time Root comes up through a, a hole in the floor and walks through the door on the other side. So it seems like he's just appearing. He's disappearing. I know. His looks way doors. better. I, yeah, it's just a no... way better presentation, although it ends with him under the stage, right. which, of course, drives him insane. Angier could take some lessons from us. Just put out a poor product. Then there will be no applause. <laughs> Still obsessed with how Borden does his trick. So this is a key moment here because he's beaten him in the sense that to the public, he's better. Yes. And it's never about public perception because Borden knows exactly how Angier's doing this trick. He knows it's a double. He knows that Root is drunk and he's supposed to be fatter. That's right. And whatever else. He sees right through it. That, coupled with having to finish the trick under the stage, is driving Angier insane, no matter how successful he's getting. Right. So he comes up with this ass clown of an idea. Oh, I know. This is insane. He fucks his whole life. Really? (laughs) He doesn't know how good he had it. Oh, God. So Angier decides to send his assistant, Olivia. So reminder, this is 2006 era Scarlett Johansson. To work for Borden in order to spy on him. whatever reason, is actually... And enamored with Algier. Angier. Angier. <laughs> yeah, inexplicable. You'd think maybe it would be difficult for her to gain Borden's trust, seeing as she's Angier's assistant and lover, and Borden knows these things. On the other hand... But then you remember what she looks like. <laughs> There's actually like a pretty funny narration moment where he's just like, but I believed her, or something yeah. like that. You're like, yep. <laughs> doesn't take long to win that trust. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is one of those. I don't know what it was, but she started making a lot of sense. 
Angier needs to know how Borden's doing the trick because he's convinced that Borden is not using a double and thus gets to bask in the applause at the end of every show, unlike him. He doesn't know what he's doing, but he doesn't think it's a double, so he thinks that that's actually Borden at the end of the show. And right. Olivia confirms this she to Cutter because it. she's yeah. like, you can tell that he's missing the fingers, and Cutter's just like, well, I don't know how he's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> All right? But I know it has to be a double. He never comes off of that, really. Sort of, yeah. Because he just doesn't know what else it could be. Yeah. But this whole Olivia plan turns into a huge disaster for everyone, really. There's that <laughs> moment when he's first like telling her about it, and then he goes to kiss her. This is Angier, and oh, she yeah. turns her head away. Oof, that like sent a chill down my spine yeah. every time. I was just like, there's no coming back from well, that. Well, you're asking turn. for trouble. I mean, when you start going down this road, I mean, you knew she, she was betrayed from the second that he asked her to do this. No, seriously, fuck all this magic shit, guys. Really? I mean, look at this. This is nuts. Why are we doing this if not for to get women? I can 100%, 1,000% guarantee that in 1900 England, there was nobody that looked like this. Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> this is Helen of Troy, Cleopatra level beauty. She walks in <laughs> to audition for this fucking magician assistant role and you're just like, I, I mean, you would just never stop thinking about it. It'd be like, okay, now that we're dating, I'm just going to like, let's get married. I'm going to quit being a magician. I'll do whatever you want. We'll go live off my family money. We'll, I'm, we're going to the States. Let's go. Yeah, there's only really two responses to her walking into your magician workshop. Either this is a prank, <laughs> something bad's about Somehow to it's like a hidden camera show. <laughs> We're going to either get married immediately or I'm going to end up killing myself. Yeah. Those are really the only things. <laughs> I know she's showing up to audition for this job, but how silly do you feel as like the dude who does magic? <laughs> this hot chick walks in. I think magic was perceived to be like a little cooler. Okay, back yeah, then. it had a better rep. <laughs> yeah, no offense to anyone listening who might be into magic. Luke, I don't know if you're into magic or you just thought this was a cool movie, but yeah, I can remember some dudes at my school that really were into the magic scene. Yeah, I wouldn't say tough. they were like the coolest dudes. I, I, I'll yeah. just leave it at that. Right, but it might be different for other people. No sure. offense. <laughs> sure, there's. I'm sure it's got like regional cred. There's probably certain regions. Regions, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Timeline number... I just keep thinking of Job from Arrested Development. <laughs> <laughs> Timeline number two, Tesla does a test of his machine on Angier's hat. doesn't work. We've never really fully understood exactly what he wants because they never actually like say it, but it becomes pretty obvious he wants like a teleportation machine. Yeah, yeah. To be able to replicate... Borden's trick because that's what he thinks Borden is doing for some reason. Right. Even though it's pretty obvious that there is no machine whenever he's walking between two wooden cabinets on a stage. Like, I would where's agree. the machine? Yeah. Olivia is enraged at her casual dismissal by Angier and immediately helps Borden sabotage his act. Borden gets to Root. Root starts making demands and messing things up. It all eventually it culminates. It is a nice uh, pep talk for Root where he's just like. You know, it's definitely like an Inception thing going on. He's planting those seeds. <laughs> Not that hard, though. Yeah, really. Just sliding a pint of ale down the bar. Root, just a damned fool. Couldn't figure this out on his own. It all culminates with Borden removing the pad for where Angier falls through the stage, causing him to fracture his leg. 
and then suspending Root above the stage in a humiliating advertisement for Borden's this might magic be the, act across the street. The best showmanship of Borden through the whole movie. This stunt. This is what I was thinking of when yeah. I said he gets better. Yeah. It seems like he knows how to talk to the audience. Yeah, I would say. We never get this. This whole see... thing is like a promotion to come across the street to his show is like the greatest marketing that's ever happened. I don't know that I agree with you that Hugh Jackman is the main star because I think we get to see more of Christian Bale's personal life with Sarah and the kid that they have and all this stuff going yeah. on. But as far as on stage stuff, we see way more of the great Danton than we see of the professor. That's for sure. Yeah. And I feel like you I see think when more he's across his... the street, I think you're supposed to believe that Borden is more mainstream than what what we saw. Like sure. a bigger deal. Right. Like his show is no longer that straight garbage that we saw. I feel like you know more about Hugh Jackman's character throughout the movie. Like you're following more of his him figuring things out and Yeah, maybe. His well, journey. that's because there's like a huge sure. reason. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. You weren't expecting me? I was expecting you soon in your message that afternoon. Well, it takes a bit for me to get around these days. He's taken everything from me. My wife, my career, now you. What do you mean? You sent me... I sent you to steal his secret, not to improve his act. It's my job. Or to fall in love with him. I did everything you asked. Yes? Yes? Then how does he do it? Cut was right. He uses a double. Of course Borden said that. Didn't say anything. I've seen things. Makeup, glasses, wigs. We don't use any of it for the show, but I've seen it hidden backstage. It's misdirection. He leaves those things lying around to make you think he's using a double. All the time. He doesn't know when I'm looking. All the time, Olivia. That's who he is. That's what it takes. He lives. He's acts. Don't you see? Just because you're sleeping with him doesn't mean he trusts you. You think you can see everything, don't you? The great Danton is a blind fool. His notebook. You stole it? Borrowed it for tonight. I thought you could translate some of it, but now I know you can't. Olivia, no one can. It's a cipher. Even with the keyword, it would take months to decode. And without the keywords? Perhaps never. We'll see. We will not see. If I don't get that back to him by tomorrow morning, he'll know I took it. Leave him. I can't. He knows where I live. <laughs> this is his diary, Olivia. All of his secrets are right here in my hands. It won't bring your wife back. I don't care about my wife. I care about his secret. Look, I'll um. I'll go to his workshop and stage a break-in. No, you took it. Yes, me. Not you. Understand? Baba. I have fallen in love with him. Then I know how hard this has been for you. Confronted by Angier, Olivia gives him a copy of Borden's encoded diary, but admits that she has fallen in love with Borden, which he doesn't seem to care about at all, which is no. insane. I know. And this is where he says, I don't care about my wife. I only care about his trick or whatever. Yeah. And there is like a moment, the camera kind of hovers him on him for a minute and he's like almost reacting to himself saying that. 
it's a realization it shocked now. him but yeah. yeah he's kind of realizing that it's actually true wow he's not just mad yeah they end up staging a break-in so that borden will not suspect her of course this is another thing that angier should have thought about later as being like well, well why wouldn't he suspect her and i was always just like well if this was on the table and he doesn't care that borden would think it's him why didn't he just break into the place and steal this himself why wasn't that just the plan maybe he didn't know there was a diary okay sure so this is how angier acquires the diary just for when he's encoding or decoding it when he's in colorado but at this point it's so coded that he he doesn't know what the five letter keyword is to uncode it is so it's sort of useless but he needs more time and that's why they end up having to steal it Angier ends up getting the keyword to decode it, which ends up being Tesla, by capturing and threatening to kill Fallon. It's sort of another long thing that probably could have been cut down. But this is a a part of the movie where the Cutter character, I was kind of questioning that he was ready to go to this level. Because he plays a pretty big part in the kidnapping of Fallon. And ends up getting shot. Right. It kind of seems crazy that he was... I guess for a while he was just following the great Danton. Maybe his curiosity got the best of him, too. Maybe he was eventually convinced that it wasn't a double and he needed to know, too. Yeah. So Borden gives him the code, which he also says is how he does his trick. And for whatever reason, Angier just believes this. I guess because it turns out to be true that that is the word to decode the diary, that he's like, okay, this must be true, then. This is the secret to my trick is Tesla. So I got to right. go to Colorado. Yeah. At the time, though, you don't realize that this is all just a ruse to get him out of the country. That's and right. Waste time. Because back then, I mean, this is he ends up spending, I think, two years on this journey or something. It's a, supposed to be. Well, a how long is he camped out in this town? Colorado Springs. Yeah. yeah. I guess it doesn't seem like it's that long. But yeah, the whole length of time to get there and get back, plus however long he spent there. It's right. like a because I think later Olivia says, like, after these years, he's back or something like that. Well, and it, well, yeah, I, I, it feels like a long time to me. I mean, I think there's parts where Tesla's like, come back in a couple weeks. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Which, again, factors into if it took this long and this, thinking about how much money he would be spending to get there and spend this time. It's like, obviously, Borden doesn't have this money. Like, he should have realized that this is all right. a lie. Angier heads to America. He believes Tesla has built a machine for Borden, and this is how he's able to pull off his version of the transported man. Meanwhile, things are getting tense and weird between Borden and his wife, Sarah. She's super suspicious of Olivia, obviously. Also, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I feel like you want to put some pressure on a strained marriage. (laughs) Show up with uh, Scarlett Johansson as your new assistant. She's my assistant. (laughs) (laughs) Wink face. Really? Fallon's in the mix, being weird. Sarah sort of feels estranged from a big part of her husband's life. It's like he has this separate thing going on. Well, they go to that dinner, and it's like, he's drunk. Fallon is there. It's like this weird double date, it feels like. (laughs) Like Fallon and Sarah, but him and the assistant. (laughs) Yeah, well, a big part of their marital duress is due to sort of his almost schizophrenic personality, his changes in mood that Sarah can't really figure out. Sometimes she believes that he loves her, sometimes she doesn't. This is sort of a recurring thing throughout the movie. Yeah, and they basically build it in that it's almost maybe a daily change that she's believing that he loves her, and then there's other days that she doesn't. 
Thomas Edison's men arrive in Colorado Springs to drive Tesla from his home and lab, but not before Angier reaches the point in Borden's diary that reveals the diary is in fact fraudulent, created as a distraction and provided to Angier as a loyalty test for Olivia. Now, if anything should be a lesson that maybe you need to back off some of this stuff, it's this. It's how much time you've just spent. You lost Scarlett Johansson over it. It's possible that if the whole thing would have turned into a dud, but ultimately he does get this machine. Yeah, so I know, like but there, there could. I just feel like this could have been a lesson moment here. A moment. <laughs> well, there's a lot of lesson yeah. moments that they just <laughs> ignore. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So it's a loyalty test for Olivia because, on the one hand, we see Borden professing his love for Sarah. You're the only woman for me. But then also, it seems like he's carrying on this affair with Olivia now. Olivia's saying she's in love with him. So it sort of seems like he's living a double life. He's unfaithful to his wife. It's sort of making you maybe change how you feel about Borden at this point. If you've forgiven him for what happened with Julia or not, I don't know. Yeah. Tesla's got nothing to do with Borden, though, or Borden's trick. And this should have been obvious to Angier, as I've said, but he's been blinded by his own ambition. He's been willing to ignore the signs that this clearly could not have been what Borden did. That's right. Tesla does, in fact, build the machine for Angier, but with unexpected results. Instead of teleporting objects, the machine duplicates anything placed inside it a short distance away. And we finally see what the opening shot of the film was, where Angier's top hat kept getting duplicated because they didn't realize it was doing that. And there's just a pile of right. top hats. They thought it was woods. doing nothing. They thought <laughs> it was just like blasting it with electricity. So this ends up being fine with Angier because it still works although it's funny how when you watch this movie for the first time you just sort of accept everything as it's coming and sometimes you don't allow yourself to think ahead and that's sort of how the whole movie works it's sort of like a magic trick yeah that's they true. set it up and then there's this misdirection because if you spend even five seconds thinking about what the reality of this would be you already know where it's heading with right, Angier right. and yet when they get to it you're just like oh man <laughs> I do like Jesus. <laughs> I do like how they've had no results with the uh, hats, and then he's just like, "I'm going to use my assistant's cat to try this on." <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should say that Tesla's assistant, Allie, A L L E Y, like an alley that you would walk down. Okay, yeah, is Andy Circus. That's right. Just randomly in the mix. Tesla's home is destroyed by Edison's henchmen, and he is driven from Colorado but the machine is still delivered to Angier, and Tesla's note advises Angier to just destroy it, saying it will bring him only misery. As we see Angier's first test, it gets cut. And this is what I was talking about, where scenes are cut in half only to be revealed later, and the movie is constructed like a magic trick. So we see this little tease of him testing it out. But then that's the point where Borden reaches in the diary that we learn that Angier has set him up. And this is like a huge twist. Oh, yeah. Because Borden is reading this in a jail cell. Right, right. And it says, basically, you have been set up for my murder, or that you will be sitting there reading this from a jail cell, awaiting trial for my murder or whatever. That's right. Seems like sort of a bold move to write that down, just in case. Yeah, what if there's a uh, diary stealing? Or just Borden is able to get this to the right person and they believe it. That's true. It's like kind of setting something out there. So that sort of is a big curveball because now you're thinking like, okay, what does this mean? Does this mean Angier is actually still alive? 
you actually have enough of the clues to put this together at this point. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think there is like a little shot somewhere in here where Cutter identifies the body. We see Angier on the slab. That's right. We are pretty sure he died. We know that Borden is on trial for the murder, We but we don't know exactly what's happening. It just seems like the final twist You here. are just like, how did this trick go so bad? <laughs> Who would have sabotaged this? Because he basically just gets stuck in that water tank with a lock on it. But you are like, well, who would have done it? Well, the way they show you that scene the first time, you still think that it could be Borden that did it. That's true. You don't see the whole scene yet. That's right. To where it's obvious that he didn't switch the locks or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Olivia means nothing. Olivia. I need an assistant. I can't <laughs> no, not have an assistant. Her. I'll tell her I know what you, you tell her what? I know what you really are, Alfred. I'm... I, know, I know. Sarah, Sarah, I Sarah, I you can't talk like this. Sarah, shut up. No, Sarah, no. shut up. I don't want to hear it anymore. You can't talk like this. I can't live like this. Oh, you think I can live like this? You think I bloody enjoy living like this? Alfred, I can't live like this! Well, what do you want from me? I... I want... I want you to be honest with me. No lies and no secrets. Do you love me? Not today. No. After a final blow up with Sarah screaming, I know what you are at Borden. She commits suicide, driven there by Borden's contradictory personality. Almost like a Terrence Malick death scene. It's just (laughs) like her like walking around a room and then all of a sudden hanging. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So this is our second dead wife going big. That's right. On the Nolan themes. And then to make matters worse, seemingly for Borden, Olivia unceremoniously decides to bounce. She's sick of the rivalry now that Angier's headed back. And she's disturbed by Borden's coldness. Just a tragedy. the other woman. Just a tragedy this movie is two men let Scarlett Johansson slip through their fingers. I know. For what? Magic? Yeah, really. Come on. Lame. (laughs) Angier does return. He re-recruits Cutter and mounts what he is describing as his last run of shows where he has hired blind stagehands. And now he is doing a trick he refers to as the real transported man. That's right. We're finally there. And he tests this out in front of a stage manager guy and all this stuff. Yeah, he's kind of like the lawyer from Jurassic Park, actually. It's like, we're going to make a million dollars. It's not literally the same actor, but yeah, 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 the same sort of idea. In London, with Borden in attendance, Angier debuts this new trick using Tesla's machine appearing to teleport across the theater. Borden and Fallon try to figure out how Angier's doing it. They watch the blind stagehands. They see them taking out these enormous shrouded tanks. 
but they don't know what they are. They don't understand what's happening. And at one point, Borden's just like, we're done. We're not going to pursue this any further. Yeah. It's kind of a, re- just a, re- a revealing scene. Yeah, because Fallon's been following him around. They're starting to maybe piece it together. It seems like they could get onto something, but he's just like, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to back off this. Well, yeah, he says, just like, well, all we've been able to figure out is that he go- falls through the floor, but we don't know how he's getting up to the balcony in seconds. Right. Angier won't let Cutter backstage, which is different from his usual role. He's more of a front of the theater management type on this current show. Everything's shrouded in secrecy. However, despite vowing to be done with it, Borden sneaks backstage and then is there to witness Angier fall through a trapdoor and drown in a tank. And it's a scene that mirrors Julia's death from the beginning of the movie because Borden is then unable to smash the glass in time as he's actually trying to save Angie. I know, you would think these guys would have more practice doing this stuff. Borden is then discovered down there by Cutter, who saw him sneak backstage, and then is turned over to the police. And that's how we got to that trial. Yeah. The wraparound story. I would have liked to have seen that conversation between Cutter and Borden. Because, I mean, you'd just be like, I, I don't know. I don't know what he was trying to do, but <laughs> he was locked in the tank when I came down here. Yeah, it's sort of a cop-out to have the trial scene where they're like, well, how did... Borden moved this 500-gallon tank under the hole in the theater floor by right. himself. Yeah, yeah. And he's just like, they're magicians, ask him. That's like what Cutter's answer is. I'd be like, no, this is a court of law. Really? We need to actually figure that out, how he was able to do this. Meanwhile, like the jury or the judge or whatever is just like, well, good enough for me. <laughs> I sentence you to death. Unable to prove his innocence, Borden is found guilty of murder and sentenced to death. So now... We're all headed into the final showdown, the final wrap-up, the final twists. There's one big thing hanging over us as viewers, this big reveal from Angier's diary, which seems to suggest that he's set Borden up in some way. But we're like, okay, well, did he finally get sad about Julia and maybe missing out on Olivia? Did he just kill himself? Was he giving himself up just to make sure that Borden went down? So the big thing is like with Owens and this whole Lord Caldlow thing, they want the transported man, they want his secrets, and they're hanging Borden's daughter over his head, like, hey, you need to think about her future, you need to give this up. Ultimately, Lord Caldlow arrives at the prison with Borden's daughter, revealing that he and Angier are one and the same. Somehow, he's not actually dead, and he's planning to take Jess, Borden's daughter, as his own. I just wrote weird. Yeah. In, as a note there, in qu- a question mark. Is that weird? Why does he want Borden's daughter now? I don't know. I agree that it's weird. He's kind of made his full leap to supervillain at this point. Yeah, he's masterminded some plan. I think the pieces are f- having to fall into place for at least Angier's version of the transported man as to what exactly happened. Borden is desperate, though, to protect his daughter. He offers Angier his secret, but Angier is no longer interested, ripping it up, not caring anymore. He believes he's won and that his secret for his trick is better, so it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. And so this was like Fair the point. final fuck you. Of right. Just like, I set you up for a murder that never happened. Although, I would feel like it seems like he would still want to know. Yeah, it did feel a little strange. Yeah. Because it was such an obsession. I know, right. He might be disappointed by the answer, but I just still feel like he'd want to know. Cutter then learns that Angier is still alive and he's disgusted at what's happened, knowing that Borden was set up and that 
almost inadvertently he played a part in it. Right. Not knowing yeah. that that's what was happening. Well, he certainly helped get him sentenced to death. At the very least, Tesla's machine is going to be destroyed. At the same time that Borden is being hung, Angier returns to his theater where Cutter has returned Tesla's machine. So this is all like a pretty cool final sequence where it's cutting between the two things and yeah. Borden's being let out of his cell and you're sort of like anticipating that something's going to happen, but you don't know what. Yeah, when they're trying to decide on where the machine should go, Angier says it should go with the other prestige items. Materials. Yeah, the pre- yeah, the prestige materials, <laughs> which we find out what those are. Yeah, which is disturbing. I did like Cutter's final fuck you, though. Where yeah, I did too. At Julia's funeral, to provide comfort to Angier, he told a story of a sailor that almost drowned and that they finally got breathing again after a few minutes. I was like, this story is insane. I think Julia was underwater for a minute. and then Yeah, really. Cutter's like, hey, this sailor didn't breathe for five, and we got him back to life. This but was, whatever. It was like a squints situation. <laughs> In the story that he told at Julia's funeral, the sailor said that the feeling was like going home. And then as his final fuck you to Cutter, and this is great because he doesn't even know what the other prestige materials are. He has That's no right. idea. Yeah, yeah. He's saying this to be like, your wife suffered. Right, right. So fuck But it you. has so much more of a meaning. Yeah. And he's like, no, actually, it was agony. That's what it felt like. Yeah. And then he just walks away. And you do wonder, like, was Angier thinking like, well, it's not that bad what I'm doing because of, I mean, I don't think so, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like an added little thing there. When Cutter departs, a stranger enters the darkness and shoots Angier. And as we're watching this, I'm sure that the audience, if they haven't figured this out yet, is assuming it's Fallon. Right, right. But it's actually revealed to be Borden. Which and- is actually revealed that he's Fallon. But I told him it was too simple, too easy. No. Simple maybe, but not easy. It's nothing easy about two men sharing one life. Angier discovers that Borden was an identity shared by a pair of identical twins. 
Yeah, I mean, he basically spells it out for us. In case we weren't the audience getting it yet, he just goes... Yeah, I thought that was kind of funny, because I was like, Angier has a bullet in his chest, and he puts us all together in like two he's seconds. He's like, a brother, a twin. Yeah, that wouldn't even have been my first thought. <laughs> because I'd have been like, how'd you get out? Yeah, that would be the first thing you yeah. think. Like, you, you're out. Because how would he know? Aren't you kind of expecting... I know it's insane, but aren't you kind of expecting some sort of trick noose or something with Borden <laughs> that he's just like... I do like that his last word when he's being hung is abracadabra. I know, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so magic is cool again. I it think went so. full circle. Right. What about Olivia and her wife? We each loved one of them. I loved Sarah. He loved Olivia. We each had half of a full life, really, which was enough for us. Just. But not for them. See, sacrifice, Robert. That's the price of a good trick. But you wouldn't know anything about that, would you? I've, I've made sacrifices. Yes. It takes nothing to steal another man's work. So there's a lot to talk about with this reveal. First of all, the first time you watched this movie, did you figure it out before we got here? No. Yeah. Neither did I, but then rewatching it, you're like, What else Fallon could it be? Fallon is clearly yeah. Christian Bale. Anytime you see Fallon, you're like, that's clearly Christian Bale. And yet, I never really thought of it. This movie does sort of work like a magic trick where you're misdirected into not even thinking about who Fallon is. You just is. don't pay that much attention to him. Even though I'm obsessed with knowing who different people I are agree. in movies. Yeah. I probably wasn't back then as much. Now I'd have IMDb. I don't up think I was checking yeah. everything. It is weird though. It is weird to think that like you wouldn't be dialing in on that. Especially in a stacked cast Plus, where yeah. everybody's recognizable. And you're like, How how would I not know who this actor is? Yeah. I mean, I guess it seems possible that there could be a random character actor since he doesn't really talk and stuff, yeah. but yeah, when you see it now, and you and you know the secret, obviously, it seems ridiculous that you didn't know. Right. Because there are a couple of times it does linger on his face. And yeah, he has like the prosthetics and the makeup and the wigs and hair and everything and the facial hair, whatever. But it's very clearly Christian Bale. And the stuff, it looks like a disguise, actually. Yes. Like, it doesn't look like a person's natural look. <laughs> yeah, there's no person that's ever looked like this. Come on, that horrifying. In reality, the use of twins in a transported man magic show was, in fact, quite common in the era when the movie takes place. Okay. So that sort of steals some of the allure of the story. Yeah, yeah. Where back then, that was just something that magicians would come up with, or people who were twins who wanted to be magicians. Like, well, it wasn't yeah. unheard of for that to happen. Like, going to career development at school. Oh, you have a twin? Have I got a job for you? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it would just sort of pop into your mind, like, hey, I could be a magician with this. So it's sort of capitalizing on the idea that in 2006, people didn't know this stuff. It wasn't common knowledge anymore. No one really cared that much about magic. So using that as a big reveal works because no one would be thinking that. Whereas back then, you know. You'd probably be like, oh, that's how they did it. Well, I mean, I think it still worked on audiences, but people knew that back then. Like. In other words, 
at the very least, Angier and Cutter would have thought of that. And yes, right, it, right. Because it wasn't unheard of. So this is the idea. This is the full commitment. This is living the gimmick. Because I, I sort of think almost that the twins here are total idiots. They went so far with this gimmick that it fucked their lives up in a way where I'm like, did they even have to do it like this? Yeah, I know. Because, okay, the surviving twin loved Sarah while his brother, the one who dies in prison, Is this weird had loved Olivia. That I consider the one who loves Sarah the the real main character. I don't know if that makes no, sense. No, it does make sense. But just it, because it's the one that's the one that has the daughter in the, in theory. I mean, yeah. you have to imagine both. Well, of Well, the these first dudes thing were... you think of is like, are they both fucking each of them? I mean, but I'm sure apparently they're like, not. That's well, like, like yeah, the whole that point. That is part of it. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Like, are they idiots? Because they would still be switching and stuff, even at times where it didn't seem necessary. Right. Because why wouldn't you have it where like any time that because okay. Both Sarah and this Olivia like scheme. think that there's only one. Yeah, yeah. So anytime that they're with Olivia, why wouldn't you be one? And anytime you're with Sarah, why wouldn't you be the other? Because it's not like right. they ever think that they need to get equal shares. One obviously is married. So I've, it just seemed like they were switching and doing a lot of work that they didn't even have to do, which ended up fucking up the relationships with everybody. Right. And then it does seem like the one that was in love with Olivia fucked up the shit with Sarah so badly that the other twin would be pissed. Yeah, really. Like, dude, why are you such an asshole to my wife? Yes, seriously. <laughs> You're fucking this well, up. Well, in fact, in one point, you know, and we see it to Fallon, obviously not knowing at the time, but he makes a comment to him about it. He's like, dude, can you try to help me out here? <laughs> yeah. Like, on a day with, that they're switching, it's like, she's really, like, onto this and she's upset. Can you try to, like, be a fucking solution here and not continue to add to the problem? <laughs> Can you be a part of the solution, really? please, for once? I get that in order to make this movie work and to live the gimmick, that they couldn't even reveal their secret to Sarah or their Olivia or anybody. But when you actually step back, you could have still kept it a secret from both of them, theoretically, and still made it easier on yourself. Oh, yeah. Like It seems like they just made it unnecessarily hard. I agree. And they would take turns on stage as to who got to come out at the end Get the of the applause. transport of man and all that stuff and it was all building towards this which is the really crazy part because at the beginning of borden's solo career as a magician he wasn't even doing this yet oh this I know. was a trick that he was like building towards until they were ready to do it he, was like, he had to wait till he was good enough you know and so how often were they switching then right <laughs> i know it just seems like completely insane but we also get the reveal here that it's like when why can't I say his name? Angier. <laughs> yeah, Angier. When he's like, you know, oh, it was simple and easy or whatever. And he's like, well, maybe simple but not easy. And they cut back to yeah. him cutting off the fingers yeah. of the one that didn't get shot. Oof. I know. At that point, I'd be like, you know what? I'm not into Let, this anymore. Enough with this. I'm going to pursue a career in something else. I'm going to tell Olivia what's up. <laughs> well, Olivia wasn't <laughs> Yeah, she wasn't in the picture yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that brings me to my next point. Should the surviving twin even though he's the one that loved Sarah, just say fuck it and be like, hey, let's try to make it work with Olivia. Absolutely. Olivia doesn't need to know. Right. She'll just think I escaped prison and we're on the run together. Which just seems exciting. <laughs> I could probably convince her. Like, how much of a badass do I seem? She seems like that type of girl, you know? <laughs> I would just go for it. Right. Just try to re-spark that up. Oh, Sarah's dead at that point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, she probably already met your daughter. Who he then goes and picks up. 
And Cutter uh, it helps in getting her back into Borden's possession. So yeah, this is a pretty cool reveal. This is like a pretty awesome thing that you just feel silly because you're like, how did I not notice this? What was I looking at? I'm sure some people figured it out and noticed. But trying to go back and look at how people were perceiving this movie in 2006, I wasn't really seeing a lot of people being like, oh, fuck this. This was obvious. I knew the whole time. Oh, no. Like, no one seemed to really react like that. Although once you know, like I said, it's it's clearly Christian Bale the whole time. But okay. It took courage. It took courage to climb into that machine every, every night, not knowing if I'd be the man in the box. On the prestige. Do you want to see what it cost me? You didn't see where you are, did you? Look. Look. You went off way around the world. You spent a fortune. You had terrible things. Really terrible things, Robert. But all for nothing. Nothing. You never understood why we did this. Knows the truth. The world is simple. It's miserable. So solid all the way through. But if you could fool them, even for a second, then you can make them wonder. And then you then you got to see something very special. It was... It was the look on their faces. What we have left, though, is Angier's horrible truth, which, again, is pretty obvious, but because of the way the movie is, you may not have even really thought of it because you're right. just trying to figure out the plot. You're, you're caught up in the story. So the confirmation of Angier's horrible truth, every time he used Tesla's machine, a new copy of himself was created, while the original drowns in the tank above the stage. Plethora of questions pop up. I know. This. I, this is hard to follow. Because what he says to Borden is, it took a lot of courage every night not knowing which one you were going to be. And it's like, How do you that doesn't know? really make sense to me. Aren't you always the one that dies? Yeah. So basically, it seems like you're killing yourself every night, but you've created a new version of yourself, which is not just a physical recreation. It is like a mental, emotional, exact copy. It is you. Like a, a if you want to get into like a spiritual realm, it's like it's you, right? Which doesn't make any sense because when we finally see the second half of that cut scene, the first time he tested and it, and are out, you, you living with two? Like streams of consciousness or whatever. Yeah, that's what at I mean. The like same time, the first time we see that scene that he tests the machine out. Yeah, he kills the copy, not the original. 
Yes. He has a gun and he shoots the copy. But they're looking at each other. They see each other. The other copy reacts like, whoa, don't. <laughs> yeah. So it's like they're not working. They're not like synced up their movement. You know what I mean? Like right, they're not right. exactly the same. So I, it gets into a whole question of like, well, what is a copy? How would you ever be happy with that? Like you're killing yourself the first time. I guess once you did it the first time. But then how do you know for sure that the copies aren't going to rebel but and it's keep like, doing the trick? Yeah, I, I don't know that. It's so weird. I guess like the new version never remembers drowning because he didn't drown. But during at least one period in time, you know, you're going to drown. Right. But it is happening to the original. I I don't know. It's so weird. I know. It ends up like with a whole slew of paradoxes where you're just sort of unable to really figure it out how that would make sense. Right. Because the first time I saw this movie, it didn't really click with me the big question there and i just sort of like took it as oh he's killing the copy every night so this is like a whole uh, i know that's the way i always took it that's the way like i wanted to believe that it happened because i couldn't make sense of it otherwise but that's not what's happening right although it does seem like based on the script that they try to like make you think that because he does say you don't know but this doesn't make any sense yeah i know it's like, oh, you don't know which one you're going to be. It's like, well, no, the one that was on the stage is the one that falls through the floor. Right. And the only way to like not fuck this up, I guess, is to make sure there's only one at a time that exists. But like I said, I mean, you basically know going into it that you're going to kill yourself the first night, that you are dead. Yes. And that you're just sort of assuming that this copy is you and that it will continue on and that maybe your brain will just be the same but like i, I don't know that I gets into the whole it. science it's fiction element like, where you're but like it's like is there like like a body transfer thing it's so weird how is it you're this person thinking this and you fall through and drown and then all of a sudden you're the copy i think this is all like different in the book okay where the copies weren't exact i don't know i don't even want to get into it yeah i know it's, it is insane but it's different the other thing that I was trying this to figure out... This is more, out, like, visual for a movie. And maybe you know the answer to this, but... So he obviously has this plan that at some point, he's not going to do the full trick, right? And it's this night that Borden comes on stage. Like, how did he have all that worked out accurately? Well, that plays into, like, how do they get on stage for each other's shows. It's like, yeah. you have to just assume that they're always spying on each other. Right. And they know what's happening and that this is all set up. He knew that he was there... He knew that he was going to be picked out of the audience. Right. He assumed that he would that try he to get down in the basement. And if he didn't, yeah. he could have just emerged. That's up in true. The balcony. Okay. Yeah. He was always wait- waiting for that time. And I guess he's keeping an eye on him. Yeah. He sees him go down there. He's like, okay, this is the night that I don't emerge. Yeah. And obviously, to make the movie work, he's counting on a lot of things happening. Yeah. He's a lot counting, of moving parts. He's counting on Borden being caught down there. Because if Borden doesn't get caught down there, then it doesn't matter that he went down there. Because what does that mean? Yeah, then he has to. Then he has to go back and edit that diary. (laughs) All right, so Angier's last copy dies, drops his lantern, setting fire to the theater. Borden then goes and picks up his daughter at Cutter's workshop. Now, Cutter getting the the daughter back. Any sense? Was he just walks into the backyard and says, "Hey," (laughs) grabs her? Yeah. I don't know what was going on. Yeah. This doesn't make any sense. Because there was like people hanging out in the yard not that far away from her. Who knows what this I know. is supposed to mean. I, yeah, I just sort of bought that, but then I was thinking about it after. I was like, well, wait. <laughs> and how did Borden know? Yeah, I know. 
At that point, did Fallon reveal himself to yeah, I guess Cutter he first? had to have. I don't know. We go one last time to the burning theater. <laughs> Rows of tanks holding dead Angiers yeah, are illuminated is, by the flames. And that is the part. I mean, unsettling, haunting. You're like, holy shit. You cannot believe how many times this guy's killed himself. Yeah, the lengths to which he's gone to do this trick, to try to best Borden when all Borden was doing was like not even anything, really. Oh, right. Anything. It yeah. was nothing. It was just something that Angier couldn't figure out because of the commitment. It's the same thing as the Chinese man at the beginning. Yes, yes. Where the trick is nothing. The trick is not anything because magic isn't real other than the shit they introduced with Tesla. But I guess that's supposed to be like taking it to this extreme unnecessary level that fucks everything up. Right. But in reality, it's like magic isn't real. There's always a trick. And if you can't figure out what the trick is, then you sort of obsess over it and to the point of going crazy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It is insane. Folks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a fun movie. As I said before, I think that unlike a lot of other Nolan movies... I don't know how much rewatchability it has at a certain point because I do think so much of it is the mystery that I agree with that is revealed. I don't think there's as much payoff as to like a sixth sense type rewatch either, where you start to be like, Oh, there are some of those moments. (laughs) I I don't think you take it. You're going to want to rewatch it once. Yeah. But but then yeah, there, the characters are sort of thin. There isn't a lot to latch onto. Do you really care that much about which wife dies at which time or who he ends up with? Like, and whether or not you're supposed to be rooting for one of them or not, you're with these guys on this journey and this competition between the two of them. If you're not rooting for either of them, that kind of takes some fun out of it, too. Yeah. And even though Scarlett Johansson is like unbelievably hot in this movie, it doesn't really make any sense that she's with either of them sexually or in a romantic sense. So when that happens, you're just sort of like, okay. And then when they break up, you're like, okay. I mean, it's not based on anything. We never see any real love or real relationship. It's all very dedicated to a plot. And then once the plot is fully revealed, the secrets of it, you're like, okay, I get it. And then it is sort of like discovering how a magic trick works. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. With a lot more moving parts. (laughs) It is sort of foreshadowing, as we said, when the little boy notices that that's right the bird is actually dead well and he says where's his bird. brother yeah it is supposed to be a little yeah hint there i think this week we will hold off on recommendations to keep this thing yeah manageable for me to try to get it edited faster we'll see how fast i can get it posted maybe you'll be seeing it monday night maybe tuesday like night we didn't spin wildly out of control no okay i think we we did it justice I'm a fan of Christopher Nolan. I recently rewatched Tenet, and I do enjoy it, although I didn't really understand it all yet. Sure. We'll get there one of these days. It would be cool to see him sort of return to something smaller scale like this, which isn't just like an attempt to be like the most epic thing you could ever think of. Yeah, I I agree with that. Because when you think like Inception, Interstellar, Dunkirk, you can kind of gloss over because it's like a historical thing. But then... At least that one was shorter. Tenet, you're like, these things are just as big as possible, expensive, crazy. I wouldn't exactly call the prestige like a you know, a, a small, quiet character drama no. or anything, but the story feels much more contained. It's not on the scale of those other ones. This is more reminiscent almost of Memento or Insomnia or something. It's like very 
yeah limited in its scope which can be fun to to come back to sometimes so we're going to skip over recommendations so let's remind our listeners to follow the show on twitter at greatest pod you can hit us up there for stickers listener requests whatever we'll thank luke for this listener right. request yes luke we do appreciate it make sure you're subscribed to the show on apple podcasts Podbean, etc. Give us a rating and review. That's not just something we say. We really would appreciate it if you could take the time if you haven't yet. We do uh, keep an eye on it. I'll say that. Yeah. And follow us on Letterboxd. Zach1983, Matt Crosby. Let us know what you're watching, what you think of it. You can see what we're watching. Me just watching like three or four movies every day. <laughs> sort of just wasting my life. It really is impressive. I should change my name. From Zach 1983 to Wasted Life 1983. This is Zach (laughs) R.I.P. Anyway, we thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoy the show. We hope that you'll tell your friends about us. And we'll talk to you next week. Seems like I've fallen in your trap again. And it seems like I'll be wearing the same old pain. But good must conquer evil. And truth will set me free So you see that somewhere I have found the key Yes, you see that somewhere I have found the key But it seems like I've been sleeping in your bed too long And it seems like you've been planning to do me wrong But evil concentrated must be But when this game is over, I won't end up a loser, and I know that I'll be walking out again. Yes, I know that I'll be walking out again.
So Ryan O'Neill and Tatum O'Neill were very estranged for a very long time. Uh, he's still estranged to some of those kids. Ryan O'Neill, uh, one of his quotes was, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of, I don't think I was ever cut out to be a father. Look at my, look at the living proof. They're either in jail or should be, I think was his statement about his own children. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, so I was reading down to see like, you know, what he did, you know, and this was this man, this just leapt off the page. By the way, quickly, Ryan O'Neill now is not known. I would say three-fourths of listeners will have no idea who Ryan O'Neill is, but a, a quick yeah. synopsis is he was a huge star of the 70s. He was the biggest box office draw, uh, you know, usually vying with Burt Reynolds, but his horrific behavior, alcoholism, et cetera, derailed his career. So he's got a kid named Griffin who he still, as far as I know, still doesn't talk to. So here's what the, here's the thing. O'Neill eventually married Farrah Fawcett. Right. And he was married to her when she passed, I believe. O'Neill refused to allow Griffin to attend Fawcett's funeral in 2009. In 2009, O'Neill infamously hit on Tatum at Fawcett's funeral, not recognizing her as his daughter. Holy shit. Holy shit. I never heard that one. Because they'd been so estranged or what? I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming yeah. he was fucked up. He, first oh, of all, sure. it's but, your... but fucked up, you recognize your daughter. First of all, it's a funeral. <laughs> Second of all, it's your ex-wife or maybe even current wife's funeral. Yeah. Third of so all, you could argue you're... you don't hit on anyone at a funeral. Yeah, you you're could, hitting on you somebody. Could, you could certainly argue you don't hit on anyone at your wife's funeral. Right. And you could unquestionably argue that if you are going to hit on somebody at your wife's funeral, it shouldn't be your daughter, baby. He didn't recognize his daughter. <laughs> <and> daughter. <laughs> Woo! That's great. 